Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour going. It is Friday, December 22nd, the final Friday before a little holiday break on Flames Talk and the Flames schedule, so on and so forth. We're underway this hour on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Steinberg, and uh, we introduce the Eric Francis Hour now. The Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. And we say hello to Eric Francis from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Hello, EF. How are we doing? How are you, my friend? How, how are my well. levels? Testing one, two, oh, three, testing one, two. You three. are loud and clear. Let me tell you that. Good to hear from you, my friend, and uh, happy holidays. I'm sure, uh, well, we won't see each other before Christmas. No. But we'll we'll be watching the same game together tomorrow. But of course, but we won't uh, we won't actually see each other. So Wes, uh, but Wes yeah. and I were wondering: Are you uh, are you in the regular home? Are you are you in the compound, the, the Francis North compound? <laughs> no, we're we're home for Christmas. We okay. decided to stay home for okay. a white Christmas. And uh, <laughs> womp womp. How's that going to work out for us? <laughs> well, we'll see. There's still there's still three days. Maybe something will happen between now and then. I'm not not holding my breath. Um, okay, you and I, uh, you and I spoke on the phone a little earlier on this Friday, and uh, you uh, you asked a very thought provoking question, which uh, is is very typical for you. But we uh, we were talking a little bit about okay, maybe West didn't West didn't like that um, statement as much. Um, we we were talking on the phone, and and you know over the last last couple of days, Flames have played some pretty good hockey since the beginning of November. And I've seen it more and more in our text line, especially on post-game shows where people have been talking about how come there's, you know, how come we're so resigned to them trading away pending UFA, A, B, and C? How come there's no more talk about re-signing them? How come there's not, not any talk anymore about keeping this core together? And I've heard more and more from that faction of Flames fans. We all know that they're at a crossroads franchise, and we all know that that they have some really difficult decisions to make. And many of us lean towards those decisions being, hey, they're going to trade these guys away because they're not going to be able or they're not going to decide to re-sign them. But uh, what if they do? And that leads us to your thought-provoking question. Well, the question is, what would have to happen over the course of the next month, month and a half, for this organization to change their mindset in terms of which way they're leaning. Cause I don't think their mind is 100% made up either way. I think you'd agree with that. I think they very much wanted to spend the last month and the next month really taking stock of where this team is at. And if the core, you know, that go, let's go back a couple months when they decided to freeze all contract talks with any poten- potential UFAs, mm-hmm. it was because this organization has long believed in this core, and it's been disrupted, of course, with the with Gaudreau and Kachuk leaving. But the core players and all three of these UFAs that we're going to be talking about are are part of that core. You know, 
two months ago they finally said after that slow start maybe maybe we shouldn't be locking up this core maybe this core just isn't good enough and it's a conversation fans have had for years in this city wondering if this core is the wrong one to kind of go with moving forward so question is over the next month month and a half what would have to happen for this organization to want to get back to maybe potentially signing one or two of those guys and and i think that the short answer for me before I hear from, from you in terms yeah. of your answer would be it would have to be significantly different than what we've seen so far this year and over the last three or four or five or 30 years. <laughs> like it would, this franchise over the last, let's just say the last couple of years anyway, it's just, you know, win two, lose three. You know, win one, lose two, win three, lose two. It's just back and forth. And, the nature of sports talk radio is on any given day over the course of a week, you could have people just beating the drum for massive change. And then right now I suspect, and I haven't listened to the station yet today, but because Wes is on. (laughs) So I, uh, I haven't listened today, but I suspect that the tone generally speaking today and after last night's game is very much one full of positivity and wow, Maybe this team is good enough to make the playoffs. I certainly still think they're good enough to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I certainly think they can make the playoffs. The question is, if they get rid of these three guys, what chances do they have of making the playoffs? So lots of different balls in the air, but how do you see it? I would say that they'd have to be playing at least 600 hockey over the next month for them to, to, you know, to start thinking, you know, more seriously about inking one or two of those guys. Cause I think you're not signing all three. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll throw this at you because when you when you suggested the topic and that be the way we kick off the Eric Francis Hour this week, I started thinking to myself, and the thing that came to my mind immediately, I'd, I'd be curious as to how you'd react to this because the number one thing for me is is not so much team based as it is individual based. I I can't be talking about locking up this core unless I see dramatic improvement from Jonathan Huberdo. I, I, I need to see I need to see them find a fit for Huberdo. I need Huberdo to do a significant about face with his on-ice play. I mean, I, I need him to look like a guy that can threaten to get points every night. I need him to look like a guy who's one of, if not the most dynamic offensive player on the team. Again, It doesn't need to be 115, but I need him to look like a threat on a regular basis. I need him, I need to come away from most games saying, geez, Huberdo was really dangerous on the power play tonight. And oh man, Huberdo and his center, they they looked like they were really clicking tonight. Like I need to see that from Jonathan Huberdo over the next month or two before I can go down the road of thinking about re signing Lindholm or or re signing anybody else and, and not moving on because. That, to me, I don't think, Francis, you can be an ultimately successful group with this core group right now. Like with the players assembled right now, I don't think that you can be a contender, a team that is anything more than a bubble playoff team without Jonathan Huberdo being a significantly better and more dangerous player. So to me, that was the first thing that came to mind if, you know, talking about what would need to change over the next month and a little bit. That that is fascinating to me that you would peg it all on Huberto and 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 I'm not gonna maybe not all disagree. but that would be the first thing that I would need to see. Change. Okay, that that really I find that quite intriguing because I you know I think it's just a given that you know the rest of this season he's just going to go along being pedestrian 
Uh, I do think that at some point, Jonathan Huberto will be a contributing member of this team. Now, will he ever live up to the to the contract he signed? I don't think so. I don't think it's even possible. Um, but I, I think that I do think at some point he's going to get his mind in the right place, and he's going to be a, a very you know he's going to be an eighty point seventy five point guy again. I really I really believe that. I'm not being blindly optimistic. I mm-hmm. just can't believe that this has already gone on this long. I know he can't believe it's gone on this long. I don't think many people around the league can understand why why or how this has gone on this long but i find it interesting that yes he's probably the most important player in the franchise because of the amount of money and the percentage of the salary cap that he eats up but that's interesting to me that you would peg largely the future of your organization on what you're seeing from him in terms of signs of life or if it still continues to be uh, abysmal Uh, i i would say that if that's the way you look at it, because I don't look at it that way. I yeah. think it's all about team. And if the team can overcome uh, a, a non-existent Huberto and and win six hundred, you know, sixty percent of their games moving forward over the next month, the, and again, I'm not saying that they're a contender this year. I do believe in the old adage that all you need is a ticket to win. Uh, and I'm not saying they could win, but I, you get it. You know, only one team wins at the end of the year. I could still see this team if they could squeak into the playoffs with the work ethic they have, with the goaltending that it looks sure looks like it's it's just as dialed in as ever, um, and with the blue line they have and all the different you know the depth they have. I I I really think they could upset somebody, but that's so far down the road. I'm just talking about right now. But but is that more reason? If you're not seeing any signs of life from Huberto and you can't seem to find anybody to play with him, is that even more reason, I guess to your point, it would be even more reason to move on from a guy like Lindholm? Because if your number one center can't build any chemistry with the guy who's being paid the most on your team, then maybe it is best if he moves along and they try to move somebody else. And that's kind of it for me, is that if if it's not going to work with Lindholm, and we, you know, it, it hasn't worked with Kadri. I, I love Backlund. He's the captain. Michael Backlund's, what, 34 years old and, and is not the top offensive center on the team. I just, I, I, don't, I don't think that you can be, the Flames, I, I feel like Craig Conroy's goal is, and, and this is what you'd want the goal to be if you're a fan of the Flames, I think his goal is to build a Stanley Cup winner. And and I think that his goal is to get his team from being a bubble playoff team where, you know, like everybody's celebrating the fact they got back to 500 yesterday. 500 is not an accomplishment. 500 is the bare minimum of being a relevant team. Like the, the, we shouldn't be applauding them for being 14 and 14. Like you, that's that's not a playoff team. And so the and, and I, I think what Craig Conroy wants is to get them out of the middle and to get them to a spot where they are competing yearly near the top of the Western Conference for a period of time. And I just is that possible? with a $10.5 million third-line player. And so that that's why Huberdeau's, what Huberdeau does and what type of player he turns into long-term as a member of the Flames, That I really do think it's so tied to uh, a lot of the way the team is going to go about their business here. Yeah, it, it, he's a key part of it. I get it. I, I, I don't, but this team has performed quite well of late. And hey, I'm with you. 500 is no accomplishment, but for those guys in that room, that's all they've been thinking about for the last for sure. three games now. And 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 it's because of the, the deep, deep hole that they dug early in this season 
that that is considered to be a bit of an accomplishment to go into Christmas above 500 if they can. And it's been their goal for a long time. It's baby steps, right, because of where you're coming from. But, you know, I, this team has is is got points in five games in a row. Again, I'm not disagreeing at all that they're in the mushy middle. They always have been, and they seems like they always <laughs> will be. And I know this general manager is hell-bent on making sure they won't continue to always be that because that beigeness that the Calgary Flames have always been is what drives people crazy right now. But when you, you look at the situation, they've got points for five in a row, and that's without a Jonathan Huberto. That's with an absolute passenger on your third line. And, uh, and, and you're still seeing you know, some pretty uh, quality efforts from Coleman and Backland, even though they're on a line with Jonathan Huberto. Now, they're not doing it with him. A lot of the times they're doing it while they're shorthanded. But at the end of the day, they're still being productive despite being paired with this anchor of a player. And it's, you know, on a bit of a side note, I think it was encouraging that he took six shots on goal last night. Agreed. Um, again, the, the, the bar is pretty low for this guy at this point in time. And I always give him credit for owning this and, and being a man and answering every question that comes his way uh, about this. But... You know, six shots on goal is, is baby steps. You know, in the previous nine games, he had a total of nine shots on goal. Uh, he's heard everybody for the last year and a half half scream, shoot, every time he touches the puck. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he knows he needs to shoot more. He talks about it, but he doesn't do anything about it. So finally he did something about it last night, and I guess that's that's a good thing. Yeah, and I mean, I actually thought that – Thursday in Anaheim was one of his better games of late. Um, and I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm cheering for the guy, and I, I'm, I'm pretty much for them doing anything to try to get his offensive game to a different level. Um, and, and the thing is, you're right. They have gone 3-0-2 over their last little bit with, with Huberdeau not being a factor. But prior to that, they'd lost 6-7 of seven with Huberdeau. Not, and that goes back to your original point, right? Like, you know, they've, they had that awful October. They were able to kind of mitigate the awful October with a better November. And now it's kind of been a pendulum swing December when they've had really bad stretches. Now they're in a better stretch and it's why we're talking about them getting back to 500 again. They haven't been above the 500 mark since game four of the regular season. So they, to your point, throw the Huberto stuff away for a second. I also think your point is bang on. They, they'd have to, They'd have to put, and it would have to be more than 600 for me, and it'd be even less so about like a certain winning yeah. percentage number for me. They'd have to look like an elite team for the next four, five, six weeks. They'd have to look like a team that is steamrolling bad teams and that is going out there and going punch for punch when other high-end teams are on their game. And, and that's what I'd need to see is, is that. Yep. And not one night, but like for way more often than not, I need to see that for me to even start to really think that going down the re-signing road, specifically on Lindholm, both Lindholm and Hannafin, is is the way to go right now. Yeah. I, hey, it's got to be a really good, impressive run where for a good month, people are really, really excited. It's not about what the fans are feeling. It's about what this organization feels like from management right on down where's the, the optimism where's you know the confidence level are they moving forward because again don't forget a year and a half ago they felt like this core even without johnny and uh, kachuk they still felt like they had a core that was good enough to win and last year was just such a major disappointment and they were oh so close on so many nights 
And uh, if they had the work ethic or, or, you know, sort of the finish that they've got this year, last year, uh, they would have made the playoffs easily. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I, I think, uh, you know, what I expect, like right now, from what I've seen over their last five games or so, uh, I'm so impressed that I, I feel like it's in them to go over 600, you know, maybe even 650 hockey for the next month and a half. But having lived in Calgary for 30 years where this team continues to always be beige, <laughs> then I it won't surprise me if they lose to L.A. and then they come out of the break and they win one and they lose one. And then they win two and then they lose two. And then they win three and then they lose two. And then, you know, it's always back and forth. It's where it's always been in this city forever. If that continues over the next four weeks, I think you and I would agree that two, if not three, of the UFAs are yeah. gone, and it's not even a discussion. And, you know, it, I think that you've always said you're leaning towards it probably being all three. I'm probably leaning towards it being all three. I still think a pretty darn good argument could be made for keeping uh, Chris Tanev because of the way he teaches guys to be professionals. Yep. He's the consummate professional, and he'd be the cheapest of the three. And I do think that I don't think he's got necessarily the leverage to you know impose a four or five or six year contract maybe four but not much longer than that anyway it'll be so interesting at this point in time all i could say is when i talk to people all the time you know friends and you know christmas parties there is there's kind of excitement right now about this team because of the young guys and even if they have to get rid of these three ufas i still think that that excitement will take fans and this organization through the rest of this year do you agree with that because if they trade those three guys you're going to see an even greater influx of youngsters on the on the roster and whether you know they're not all going to be Connor Zaries but there's still going to be a lot of curiosity and excitement that they're finally moving in a direction where it's all about youth throw Pelche in maybe Coronado gets another long run and maybe one other two oh, other sure you've been talking about uh, you've mentioned three or four times over the last number of weeks about Jeremy Poirier uh when when he's healed from his cut now he's still a ways away from being healed from that cut yeah. but uh Poirier hopefully at some point this year would be really cool to see especially if both blue liners are traded um so that you you, you talk about that I think I think that would be exciting and, and the other thing is I'd be curious as to where yeah. you are on on this because I've thrown remember what Nashville did last year and where they finished last year and where they are this year the Predators traded away almost everybody that was kind of in that same situation or similar situation as Calgary's guys are Eckholm went to Edmonton they traded away uh Granlin they traded away Niederreiter they traded away Tanner Janot and they didn't other than Tyson Berry who was a cap dump for Edmonton to make the salaries work they didn't bring back anybody to help their team right now. It opened the door for more young players, and that Predators team was the one that eliminated Calgary from the playoffs and stayed in further than Calgary did in the playoff race. Eventually, they got eliminated, and the Jets ended up making it, But and now the Preds are very comfortably in a playoff spot this year, and they're playing some damn good hockey, and they went out made some savvy offseason moves. They're giving their young players even more opportunity. If the flames were if the flames were to trade away their UFAs, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden they just become automatically bad, which is something that you've kind of brought up a few times that even if they trade Lindholm, Hannafin, and Tanev, doesn't mean they just all of a sudden stop being competitive. And I think the Preds are a really good example of that. Yeah, and, and it's 
you know, you often talk about a general manager at the trade deadline. What set, what sign are you sending to your, your dressing room, to your organization? If you trade away guys that don't bring anyone back, well, this isn't, you know, him punishing, this wouldn't be Conroy punishing the team or sending a message. That I don't think you're good enough. It, I mean, obviously he'd be deciding that it's just in the best interest of the organization moving forward to maximize your assets, which is something he said from day one when he was hired, that is the most important thing. We can't let another Johnny Gaudreau situation happen. Yep. Those were his exact words. And and he's hell-bent on following through on that. And I think he's fully confident that it's the right thing to do if all you see is youngsters in this lineup outside of, you know, you, obviously you're going to have your Backlund, your Coleman, you're going to have uh, your Lind, uh, sorry, your Backlund, your Coleman, your Hubert O, and your Caudry. And that's why I'm always refraining from using the term rebuild because I know how hesitant I think this organization is to completely rebuild. I keep using the word retool. I know it's tomato, tomato, but you know, it's a retool on the fly. And I think there are lots of examples of teams doing it. You just cited the Nashville predators. Um, Look, look at the New York Rangers. I, and I I know it's a little bit different, but remember they wrote a letter saying that they were going to completely rebuild and start from scratch they didn't quite go all the way to the bottom and do it the way that everyone sort of thinks you have to now. And suddenly they may be the best team in hockey right now. And it happened a lot faster than anyone thought. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they have one of the older, older uh, rosters in the national hockey league. So it's not all on the back of youth. So there's totally different ways to do this. Vancouver too. Vancouver is a top three team in the Pacific. And, and, the, the the only difference I see with Vancouver is that they do have a couple of generational parts to build around that the Predators don't, the Flames don't right now. Flames don't have a Pedersen or a Hughes, or in New York's case, a Fox, right? They don't have that. Panarin. that ge- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't have those, those generational, foundational pieces to build around. It makes it a little bit easier when you're Patrick Alvin in Vancouver to say, okay, let's do some trimming around the edges here, trade away Horvat, bring back some assets, use a few of those assets, go out, get Ronick, sign a couple of um, kind of middle-of-the-depth chart defensemen, really invest in Miller and Pedersen and Hughes and, and Demko, and bam, let's see what we got. And what they've got is a pretty darn good hockey team all of a sudden. That's right. And the other example everyone uses, I know you've used it and I, I you hear it a lot, is the, are the Dallas Stars. Yes. And I think that's even more applicable. Now, they hit the jackpot with one particular draft where they just hit home runs every single round, yeah, it seemed three like. Three straight picks. But the thing that is the common thread to me between the Flames and, you know, potentially the Flames and a, and a rebuild like the Stars is they were saddled with two contracts that everyone said were going to be anchors, albatrosses around their necks forever. And still Tyler are. Sagan and Jamie Benn. And, and, and still are, but they've found a way to be more yep. productive, those guys, yep. or at least fit into a lineup in a secondary role and do it really, really well. And and so, you know, I don't think anybody is counting on Huberto to be in a primary role ever in Calgary. I still think he could, but I think everyone's kind of resigned to the fact that if he could just be a solid second-line winger, we'd be thrilled with that at this point in time. And that's what Jamie Benn has done. That's what Tyler Sagan have done. And, you know... And, and so maybe that's the that's the beacon of hope for Calgary Flames fans to be just like the Dallas Stars. Hit it big, you know, potentially this summer when uh, they head to the Sphere in Vegas, the Calgary Flames could be sitting there drafting a couple first-rounders 
two or three first rounders, mm-hmm. depending on how the Monahan thing situation. Yeah, I don't. I still don't even understand. No, I don't know. I, everybody always asks like, Pat, "What what happens?" Knows. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, nobody knows. So flip a coin and figure that out. But you know, potentially, I think everyone's kind of expecting if you're going to get rid of a Lindholm and a Hannafin, those two alone should get you a first rounder at the very least mm-hmm. for both of those guys. I'm not. Yeah. So you could walk out of the sphere potentially with three first round draft picks, uh, two or three, maybe even four second rounders, depending on how well you do at this trade bonanza. And and suddenly you could hit some home runs in two or three years down the road with those guys. So uh, I think there's lots of reason for optimism and hope for Flames fans. I do think generally, here, here's a question I'll just throw at you. Like, yeah. Do you not think that, and I know there's frustration on a daily basis with this team or every week or so, or when they lose two or three in a row, and Huberto is a constant source of frustration, but do you not think generally that people are feeling like this organization is finally on the precipice of heading in the right direction and have already started in some ways with Craig Conroy putting this youth movement in motion? I think there's some optimism that that's the case, is, is the is the read that I would get on it. I still think there is some, I, I think it's like very pensive, I think it's very like, I, I I think of a few texters who are still kind of and regular texters that are still very, I think, apprehensive that they'll go down the tried and true road of, yeah, but you know what, if we can stay competitive. And so I think until the deals are made and until it's clear how the Flames are going to approach this trade deadline, I still think there's some apprehensive optimism. But yeah, I do think that. And I think the fact that so far, even the most pessimistic or skeptical fan, and I don't blame you for being either, but I think even the most skeptical fan would say... Craig Conroy so far has followed through on two of the things fans were really excited about when he took over. A, if you don't want to be here, we're going to trade you. B, we're going to open up space for young players. And and I think that, Francis, they've, they have sent players to the American League. They have put veterans on waivers. They have scratched guys who were regulars last year or on other teams to make sure that whether it's Martin Pospisil or Connor Zary or for a time when they were giving Matt Coronado an opportunity um, or, or Dustin Wolf, like they, they have, I think, followed through on both of those things. If you don't want to be here, we're going to trade you. I think Toffoli and Zadorov are perfect examples of that. And then, yeah, they, they have followed through so far on giving young players an opportunity and and that hasn't just been lip service so because of that I I do think if you are optimism there's reason to be optimistic and if you're a little unsure about how optimistic you can be at least you have that evidence in front of you right exactly and exhibit A and B would be Connor Zary and to a lesser degree Martin Pospisil but but the fact that they've come in and already Excuse me. There's there's certainly no question that they're everyday NHLers now, and you can't tell me that six eight months ago you thought that they would ever be everyday NHLers. I'm not saying people discounted Zari, uh, and I certainly think that a lot of people thought eventually he was going to be in the NHL. But like to at this impact, and we'll get into him a little bit later. But uh, like th- th- they've already established now, those are two guys that are in your lineup for the next you know, five, six, seven years. I don't know. You know, I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but that is, that those are encouraging signs because those are two spots I don't think anyone had penciled yep. in yep. moving forward. And they're they're really exciting pieces for people. So 
if you're going to keep rolling the dice and playing guys like Jeremy Poirier when he comes back, and like I say, I they're so high on this guy and so excited about this guy. Yeah, he's lost some ground this season with this injury. That's going to set him back, and maybe this year won't be his year, but people should not be discouraged or angry or think any less of the organization or Matt Coronado because he's in the AHL right now. I actually believe that's 100% the right thing, the right place for him to be right now based on what I saw from him as a player. And I know it's been really hard for him. He didn't expect to ever have to go through this road. He hoped he wouldn't have to go through yeah. the AHL. But it's never, it's never, I can't say never, but it rarely hurts a guy to spend extra time in the American Hockey League. If he's got the perseverance, if he's coachable, uh, and if he's got the raw talent, which all three of those things Coronado has, he's in the right place right now with a development team that's good. And another reason why everyone should be optimistic, look, people can see what the Wranglers have been doing the last couple of years. They see that their their record is, is, is you know, excellent. And that's just another hint that, you know, what's coming down the pipe is, is, is you know, exciting for, for Flames fans. See, I told you that'd be a uh, lengthy first half conversation, and uh, and it was. Um, that this is the Eric Francis hour. Eric Francis with us from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, and the Eric Francis hour on Flames Talk every week, brought to you by our friends at Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a three hundred and twelve million dollar positive economic impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com. Eighteen plus. Please play responsibly flames talk is on the air and streaming on the sportsnet mobile app sportsnet 960 the fan calgary it's the eric francis hour on flames talk eric francis from sportsnet and sportsnet.ca my name is pat steinberg uh franchise you've uh you've looked up some numbers when it comes to connor's area we all know how much of a revelation this guy has been but uh what can you tell us about what we're actually talking about, rookie-wise, how impressive has this run been for young Mr. Zary? Yeah, we, you know, I wrote a column on this today, uh, just what sort of company he's keeping right now. And, and you know, he's second, I think it's pretty well known, he's second only to Connor Bedard in terms of points per game for rookies in the NHL this year. And just even be mentioned, you know, with the, the other Connor, we'll call him, uh you know to be mentioned in the same breath as him you know even he's kind of flattered by that to some degree but you know he's scoring at a 0.74 points per game yep average and i'm not a big analytics guy and this is certainly not deep thinking stuff but to put that into perspective uh you know that's ahead of um hawk and lube's rookie season um it's right it's smack dab equivalent with Joel Otto's rookie season. And maybe that's going a little too far for people, but you know, he's at 0.74. Johnny Gaudreau was 0.80 points per game when he broke into the league. Uh, you know, Gary Suter was 0.85. Uh, these are, you know, these are some of the better players. I think to put it in an even better perspective for, for uh, our listeners is the fact that, you know, Sean Monahan did not have as many points as Connor Zary. Zary's on pace for 53 points. And then remember, he's missed 10 games. Yeah, he, this is he's we're doing this on a 72-game pace instead of 82. Yeah, so if he had played, you know, 10 more games, which he would have – he missed one game due to injury, nine because he was playing in the AHL to start the season. Um, you know, if he had played more games, then, you know, he'd, he'd be up 
amongst even bigger company. But Matthew Kachuk never got 53 points in either of his first two yep. seasons, and he turned out all right. I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to be the next Kachuk, Gaudreau, uh, you know, Joel Otto, any of these things. All I'm saying is it just puts in perspective, um, you know, how effective he's been. And even if he wasn't racking up points, I think the fact that he's an everyday second liner in the National Hockey League right now is an amazing accomplishment. But he's done it also because he's been so prolific offensively. Uh, seven goals, 10 assists. Um you know, last night's goal setting up Nick DeSimone, I thought summed it up brilliantly. Like he goes into the zone, he turns back and decides, ah, I'm going to come back to the blue line. There's two guys all over him. He calmly makes a pass between the two of them, and DeSimone gets his first NHL goal at age 29. Great story. I love that DeSimone said, I've seen this kid make that move a hundred times in the American Hockey League. I knew he was going to get it to me. And it's that poise that a guy can have in, in junior. Like, Connor Zary was a stud in junior. No yep. question about it. That's why you get drafted 24th overall. Most guys in the National Hockey League were studs in junior. Even fourth-line muckers were studs in junior. But it's another thing to go into the AHL and continue to have that poise. I think it took him a while. And then to come into the AHL and immediately have that poise, to be able to hold on to that puck for that extra, extra split second so that you can make a play. Most rookies just want it off their stick. This guy relishes having it on the stick. Yeah. And the last thing I'll just point out in terms of numbers, and this is where it doesn't make any sense, and this is where everyone's so shocked. And I did ask Conroy, and I did ask Huska, are you surprised that this kid's scoring at the pace he's scoring? And both said, absolutely. Yep. Like, we did not see that coming this quickly. But for you to score at a higher pace per game in the Ameri in the National Hockey League than you did in the American Hockey League is ridiculous, especially early on. So he scored at a .71 point, points per game pace in the American Hockey League, and 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 you know over like I think he had played like 130 American Hockey League games over four seasons. Comes into the NHL and he's scoring at a higher pace. That doesn't make sense. You don't see that happen a lot. So all this is to say. Kid's been amazing, and he's been amazing early on, and I, I don't see it changing because his mindset and his skill set are, are on point every night. Yeah, he's got a good swagger. I, I really, and I say that in a good way, like he's, he's yeah. confident. He knows, he feels like this is where he belongs, and that is what you need to do. You need to have that type of swagger to be a really good NHLer, mm -hmm. and, and I think he's got that as well. I don't, I don't sense the... It's not it's not that I think he's taking it for granted. I just don't get the sense like yeah, well I might go back to the American League here. I think he fully 100% believes that the NHL is the only place he should be. It'll be interesting. I mean, every guy, especially young players, they run into slight slumps at some point and how long those slumps last for is a really telling thing and and how you get out of them, how you deal with them, but yeah, I I'm, I I like the swagger. I like the mindset. And and I like the swagger on the ice too. He's given them something that they didn't have before. Yeah, he's given them an offensive shot in the arm, and and I give him a lot of credit for that as well. And by the way, and, I go ahead. Sorry, he, I'm sorry. I didn't mind to interrupt, but I was just say he. And it's all also we've talked about it at length, but you know he's helped elevate Nazem Kadri's game. Yep. Like I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that Kadri's now at a point per game pace ever since Zari joined his line. Like it's. You know, whether it's a reinvigoration, you know, with the youth alongside him, I don't know. But either way, it's working. And this organization would kill 
kill to find someone who could do that for Jonathan Huberto. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've tried it, you know, every turn. Um, and I'm not saying the answer is in the minors, but you know, I did hear someone the other day. There are people out there. Jacob Pelche and Jonathan Huberto hit it off as buddies right away. You know, mm-hmm. they have the French connection and and they're they're good buds off the ice. One's clearly trying to mentor the other, but you never know those if those two guys were put together, um, if potentially they could help spur one another on. So that's just you know another tool that they'll try to put in that toolbox as they try to get Huberto. Uh, up to speed but I, I also want to just add sorry about Zari I, I really enjoyed Chad he's such a nice kid you know how he is and yep. he's, uh, he he said that he I, I asked him about you know what if, uh, people throwing this whole Bedard thing at you you know you're second only to Bedard like can you believe you're in this scenario and he says look I talked to my mom and my dad and my brother daily about the importance of attacking every single game and never taking it for granted that you're going to stay in the NHL longer than one more game so you have to have that mentality that every single night I got to do what I can to stay in the lineup. And I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. Instead of looking at it going, oh, geez, I got to stay in the rookie race at yeah, a point yeah. per game, you know, whatever the pace is. He's just saying, no, I just got to attack every game. And I just, everyone's falling in love with the style of game that he's got. Uh, just because it's you and I know I can. Did you, <clears throat> did you try to pass off points per game as analytics earlier? Yeah, yeah, like for an old guy, this hilarious. Good call. Good. Uh, I'm glad you called me on that. I, I, I did. I was kind of. It's just numbers, right? And I, I, I always joke that I got into journalism because you didn't need a math. Yeah. And then of course you get into the world of journalism, and it's all flipping numbers everywhere. <laughs> but usually it's spoon fed to you by the PR department or by the NHL or by our Sportsnet stats staff, and they were the ones who fed me all this. I said, give me the list of rookie points in a in the you know rookie season points and they spit it all out for me and i just said i guess that's analytics <laughs> that's funny <laughs> oh that's funny no no it, okay so you're telling me it's not analytics that's good because that would keep my streak alive of never talking about yeah, analytics. i think i think the streak is still going then uh hey can we talk? Can we talk a little bit about Jacob Markstrom? Um, by the way, uh, he's come back and he's made sixty stops on sixty-one shots since the broken finger. That's got his save percentage up to nine oh six, and it's climbing. He's the only goalie on the roster above nine hundred. I don't know. I, I just and we don't. We if you want to uh, go down the the trade road, because I know a lot of people are are buzzing about that as a potential trade chip for the Flames. But just the guy really has, even when the save percentage numbers weren't exactly where he would like them to be. He's been one of their best players all year, Francis. And, and I think, I think he's done a really nice job of correcting all the things or a good number of the things that plagued him last year. And we all, or or there was definitely a contingent of people who were like, okay, this guy, this guy's been good for a long period of time. Yes, he had a bad season, but the odds and the numbers would suggest he'll bounce back. I, I think he is in the midst of having that bounce back season. I really do. No question about it. And it's, it's just been odd because I think generally people would say that certainly goaltending has not been a problem in Calgary this year. As a matter of fact, given where it was a year earlier, mm-hmm. it's actually been, you know, probably the biggest, uh, I don't know what the word is, upgrade. It's It's been the biggest boost from a year ago. Um, but yet the numbers, 
the numbers are not impressive. And you, know, you look at the big picture, they're not impressive. And I know that he, again, it's kind of like you saying, it's not something to be celebrated that you just got to 500 for the team. I'm not sure it's something to be celebrated that you just got over 900. I mean, 900 is the bare minimum to me if you're a starter in the National Hockey League. And I know that the numbers have changed over the years and it's getting, you know, goal scoring is up and it's harder to be a goalie and there's no question about that. But um, whatever the numbers say, I don't care. John, uh, Jacob Markstrom has given this team a chance to win almost every night he's played. Uh, I really believe that. And yes, he still has been prone to letting in the first goal of the game or an early goal, but nowhere near like last year. I think yeah. he did it nine times last year. That's gone. Like everything that happened last year is gone. I give him a ton of credit because, man, like Huberto, he just couldn't figure out how to how to get out of that tailspin he was in last year. Well, this year he figured it out. You know, the hope, of course, is that Huberto can figure it out the same way. Maybe those guys should spend the summer together, uh, spending a lot of time having long walks together and chatting about it. But, you know, full full credit to him. The whole trade thing, that'll be brought up over the next four or five weeks, no question about it. But I think with a team on the verge of a retool, I, I don't think there's any question that everyone will be discussed in terms of possible trade bait. Everyone, like everyone, Kadri, Dubay, uh, go through the list. Like, who's immune to it? Nobody. Um, so uh, maybe Uyghur would be immune to it. I don't know. But uh, uh, Markstrom's been great and uh, full marks. Do you, uh, so we start to wrap things up, maybe even going back to our conversation to kick off the hour that, that we spent most of our time talking about. Do you see anybody untouchable on this roster right now? Like, is there, is it Zeri? Is there anybody else that you're like, geez, that, that guy, they, they can't even be thinking about because he's going to be here. And I mean, untouchable in a good way. Like, uh, Hey, this is a guy that we clearly are building yeah. around. We're hanging the phone up. If, if they call. It's, uh, it's funny you ask that and we'll, you know, we'll get into it maybe when we come back in the new year, because as I was saying that, you know, who's untouchable? And I said, Uyghur is really only the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, not having a roster right here in front of me and going through every single guy, I just, I would say that why would you ever consider trading a youngster right now? It's not to say anyone's untouchable because Gretzky got traded. We always bring that up. But, you know, I, I don't see why you would even consider trading a Zari or a Pospisil or anybody who's got any sort of term left on their contract or under, uh, you know, RFA you know, you're, they're under your control for the next little while. Uh, so all those young guys are untouchable, I would say, right now. Um, because why would you? I mean, yeah. that's what this is all about, right? Re retooling, so rebuilding. I don't know. Again, we're on the spot, and maybe you do have a roster in front of you, but who would you put on your untouchable list? Not like a lot Uyghur, of names. Uyghur's got to top that list. I, I like Uyghur a lot. Not a lot. But I even wonder on a on a Uyghur front, like if, if they do decide to go younger, if they do decide to rebuild, is, is that something he wants to be a part of? I wonder about that. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not yeah. saying he wouldn't be. I just, I, I think for a, a lot of veterans, like, okay, do are, are you dialed in on this direction or not? I think Zeri would be. Um, I think the young players, I think I would point to is saying, yeah, these are the untouchables, but the rest, uh, Dustin Wolf would be no question about it. So, oh yeah, yeah. young, young he'd players, be top of the list. I think so yeah. too. I think he'd be, and I, you know, I wouldn't be my, my new prospects like Hanzek and Moran and those guys, I wouldn't be, but otherwise I don't know. I don't know if there are truly any untouchable pieces that I'm like, no, I will not entertain conversations. If a team comes asking about player X, Y, or Z, I, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, like Coronado, you're not you're not 
sending him out. It's uh, hey, is it, these are different conversations that we've had in this city for a lot for of sure. years, and I've heard I've heard you say before, like they're in a position right now that you're completely unfamiliar with. Flames fans from the last twenty to thirty years are not familiar with this situation where you've got a chance. It's an opportunity to affect significant change in the future of your organization. Uh, and it's by, you know, giving away some dear pieces, some some pretty precious pieces, but in return, you're going to get some things that are really going to help you springboard uh, or retool. Uh, so, you know, however they go about it is got to, again, I keep going back to it. I still think people should be optimistic and excited about where this organization's going and how they're going to go about it. We don't know exactly how they're going to go about it, but it's... Uh, it's foreign territory for us, that's for sure. Have a good holiday break, pal. Uh, great stuff, as always. We'll do it again next Friday. Merry Christmas. Uh, best to you and yours. And uh, don't drink too many rums, okay? Just uh, I'll come back in one piece. Too late. Uh, hey, <laughs> uh, happy holidays, my friend. I always uh, love working with you. I'm so thrilled that we've moved the, the, the hour to uh, so that we could work together. You're a true pro, and... Uh, and I'm not saying all this just because you bought me a bottle of wine the other day, but uh, <laughs> I really, uh, really appreciate you and all the best over the holidays, my man. And thanks to all our listeners who, uh, who, uh, who listen to us with any sort of regularity. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yep. Agreed. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, a pleasure. It's been awesome. The Eric Francis hour since we kicked it off in September has been great. I've, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, for Eric Francis, you can get him on Twitter at Eric Francis. You can catch him at sportsnet.ca and of course, see him on all of the uh, regional telecasts on uh, Sportsnet West and more. And right here on Friday Flames Talk, the Eric Francis hour has been brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta, the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus. Please play responsibly.